Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for uh, the, uh, the, ni- the nice weather. And Lord, it's just, it's, it's refreshing to be able to see all the snow melting and to be able to go outside and play and to, to ponder where you're going to walk. And, 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 and uh, you walk on the sidewalk, you're okay. But if you go into the grass, you might have a little bit of snow hanging on. And it's just, it's just an interesting dynamic, Lord, to see, uh, see what the remnants of what was very cold and now have it not being as cold. And it just reminds us, Lord, of the already and not yet tension of our life, of how we are saved, but we're still waiting for that full and final salvation. And we're still waiting for um, our heavenly home, and, and t- that tension is going to be in a bit in our text tonight, as we talk about two different tabernacles, and an earthly one and a heavenly one, and what Christ accomplished. And I just thank you for tonight's lesson, and I just pray, O oh Lord, that we're challenged and encouraged. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, we got a lot of verses tonight. We are going to do our best to to treat them appropriately, um, but uh, we have. It's just, it's, just a, it's just a big lesson tonight, but it's all one big thought. It's one big argument. And we could have, we could have broken it up. Uh, we, could be, we could have done it in a couple of sessions, but you know what? It's, it'll work. So let's just dig in. So we are in, we are in Hebrews chapter 8. Oh, we got to get Gian in here. Hold on a second. So, all right. So welcome, welcome. We are, we are in Hebrews chapter 8. Welcome to any of you out there in podcast land listening to this. And good, good that you're listening. And um, we are in Hebrews 8. Let's go. Chapter 8, verse 1. So we are 1 to 6. The main points of this lesson tonight are in the first six verses. And the author of Hebrews does, does us a solid. He just flat out says. Now, the main point of what I'm saying is this. So if you were listening to a pastor speaking... And you hear the main point, all of a sudden you perk up a bit. Kind of like when they say, finally, and you're like, oh, I'm going to wake up at that point. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So already there, we've got this idea of a heavenly place of worship. We have here a throne room and we have kind of like, will there be worship in heaven? Well, yeah, we, we learned that from Revelation. There's a great worship service around the throne, but here we have this idea of there's like a, there was an earthly tabernacle and there's an, a heavenly tabernacle. And so we just, we keep that on your mind because that's going to come up a few times tonight. Every high priest appointed to do, to offer both gifts and sacrifices is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. So that tells you that the author of Hebrews still understands that there's a temple. And so the the temple in Jerusalem, so we got that going on here. So the author of Hebrews, is is, he's not talking about that, that original tabernacle back in, way back in the day, no. He's like, he's talking, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be like one of those priests because we already have those priests. Why would we need more of them? They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. So what do we do with this? Well, we start with there's a copy, a shadow, and a pattern. So so evidently, God in his economy here, he wanted Moses, he expected Moses and his crew to put together something, because the whole idea is where's God going to dwell? And how, how is God going to be able to travel with his people? Think of the tabernacle as like the original RV or mobile home, and the temple is more of a stationary home. And so how is God going to travel with his people? How do you contain God? Well, you don't contain God. And so how do you build a house for God? 
a God who's not can't ever have a house. He's not limited to a dwelling place. How does that ever happen? Well, you do it with the way God tells you to do it. And God has an idea here. There's something, uh, there's a heavenly a heavenly model he's going after, and he's expecting, he's expecting Moses to, to follow that plan. So what is on earth is just a copy. It's just a shadow, kind of like when you're outside and uh, don't look at don't look at shadow in a bad way. Because when you're outside and it's a real sunny day and you see your shadow, you you can recognize. I I, I did this, I had this, um, I was going through some pictures a while back. And, uh, and actually, I was, I was walking with my daughter yesterday, not today, but yesterday I was walking. It was just, just sunny enough where you could see our shadows on the sidewalk and they were just ahead of us. And so, yeah, so we were seeing, and it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell my four-year-old shadow versus my shadow. Your shadow looks like you. It just isn't you. It's you and that it's your shadow, but it's not you. You don't, you don't, you know, you can't take your shadow out to dinner or something like that. You can't sit there and play chess with your shadow. Your shadow is you, but it's actually not you. There's something, there's enough different about your shadow that it represents you, but it's not quite you. And that's what we have the earthly tabernacle here. And so it's a pattern. There's something that God was trying to communicate with that earthly tabernacle that communicates what God's, what God expects in terms of uh, of worship and in terms of, of dwelling and worship and, and, and experiencing God. If you want to approach a holy God, Leviticus would, would tell us you have to do it his way. And yeah, so we have here uh, a copy, a shadow, a pattern, but superior. You see, Jesus, Jesus, if he, if he was our high priest on earth, especially in the time of, of, of the author of Hebrews, they already had priests. They already had a temple. They already had that worship system. And if that's what we needed was more of those, then the, his whole argument is for nothing. His whole argument is, no, we need something different than those. We need something superior. That what we currently have in the Old Testament, first covenant, old covenant sacrificial system is not enough. It doesn't accomplish what, we, what it needs to accomplish. And we're going to get into that tonight. So... The ministry of Jesus is superior, just as the covenant, because every priest operates under a covenant, kind of like every pastor is ordained, every priest is ordained within a covenant. So Jesus and his priesthood representing his covenant, that new covenant, Jesus is superior to Aaron and Moses, just as the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. So that's the basic points of tonight. So we get the two covenants, 7 to 13. Jesus is the high priest. Amen. Uh, make tip before I get there and make text it in tabernacle. How can God travel and dwell among simple humanity? Yeah. And that, that word is uh, the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus was a tabernacle as it were of God being incarnate with his people that kind of Emmanuel God with us. How was it? How did that happen? Well, Jesus happened and Jesus took, you know, the word of the word became flesh, but yeah, it's how does God, how does, how does God travel how does a holy travel with the unholy and the profane that is us? How does that happen? Well, it has to be something very set apart and very, very special. And the tabernacle was that. Okay, 7 to 13. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. You catch that? If, if, if the Mosaic covenant, the covenant of Moses, if all of that was enough, you know, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament law, if all of that was just enough, we don't need anything else. Nobody is, re, is, is upgrading the app on the phone. You know, no, if that was enough, we're good. Everything is square. We don't need anything else. But God found fault with the people and said, here we have Exodus 25, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Now, if this is written in Exodus 25, right smack dab in the middle of the proclamation of this first covenant. Are you kidding me? And God's already realizing, yeah, there's going to come a day, kids, when uh, there's going to be something new. Okay. But I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. He goes to Jeremiah 31. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, hey, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So in Exodus, he's saying, you know what? There's something that is not, if, if God, now God didn't make any, any mistakes. Okay. This is not God going, well, geez, I wish I would have done something different. No, God is unfolding salvation history. The first covenant had a job and that job was the letter A in the salvation ABCs. Admit you're a sinner. The first covenant pointed out, you are a sinner. You have broken God's law. You cannot possibly keep God's laws. So once you've broken them, you are now in a lawbreaker category. And you now need grace. You now need something else. So God, in God's economy, he came up with the idea of a substitute, a substitutionary atonement of sorts, where an innocent had to die in your place. And that innocent's blood became the replacement for your own blood. And it died. And that blood covered over your sins. And that was the way it went. Okay, that's how God did. So you see how God's building a salvation argument when you have the full and final that we're going to have today with Jesus. Daniel texted in, under the old covenant, we were unable to keep God's law. We needed to have the power of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, convict our conscience, and lead us to obedience and a love for God. God doesn't make mistakes. That Levitical covenant was necessary prior to Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. Yes, yes. So that's it. But it's obsolete. Jeremiah 31 is like, there's going to come a day where we're, I'm going to give you something new, and it's going to be something amazing. And it's going to accomplish things that the previous covenant was unable to accomplish. The previous covenant was really unable to, to well, they're going to, we're going to talk about the, the failings of that covenant and what it was not able to do. But he's actually going to forgive their wickedness. You catch that from Jeremiah 31? I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now, that's like a God, God doing a self-limitation. Are there things that God can't do? Well, looks like God can't remember forgiven sin. I don't know if that's like a, a logical limitation upon God so much. It's like, well, God can't lie. God can't be a, you know, a, a, a logical oxymoron. But what I read there is like, I'm not going to remember these things. I'm not going to continuously hold them against you. Once they're done, I'm not going to bring them up again. Okay, and this is not something that's going to be okay, you know, but you did sin back when you were, you know, such and such years ago, and you did do that. I'm just saying you haven't been a perfect kid. Womp, here it is on the scale again. Like, hold on. I don't know. God's like, you know, I'm actually going to forgive this. And this stuff is actually going to be dealt with and in a full and final way. And we're going to be done with it. I like that. This is a really, really comforting verse. It is looking back at my own life. I don't know about yours, but. Uh, yeah, uh, Daniel was sitting on the bottom of the ocean floor. <sighs> so we have, um, it's obsolete. The old covenant is obsolete. It is not enough. Something new needed to happen. If all you had was the old covenant, sin is never truly dealt with. It's kind of dealt with. It's dealt with enough so that God in his mobile home can keep traveling with us. So the relationship can continue. But that guilty conscience. See, we got to remember this when we get to the know, the be, and the do at the very end. Because we cannot operate under the old covenant. The old covenant is constantly worried about this. God, is my sacrifice enough? I sinned again, God. Do I need to come again? How, how much longer do I have to wait before I come again, before I come and bring another little baba to sacrifice? I mean, you're, you're, you're worried about that. You're worried about your relationship and have you done enough? Have you kept God happy? And it's very tempting to get manipulating with that. Say, well, God, I'm just saying I, I, I did what you wanted. You know, we do that. Some people with putting money, uh, giving money to churches. Well, I mean, I gave, I gave money, God. So I'm, 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 it's not, I'm not completely out of line to expect maybe some blessings. I'm just saying, it's really easy to play that. I'm just saying with God. 
And so we got to be careful with, the, with trying to live as new covenant Christians under the old covenant again with that mindset. So the old covenant has to be obsolete. It has to be, excuse me, not enough. Because then it creates a need. If all you have is the law condemning you or damning you, it's constantly telling you, yep, you're a sinner. Yep, you're a sinner. Yep, you didn't do it right. Yep, you, 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 you broke God's law. Yep, that gets really depressing. You need grace. You need God to come in and say, and yet. The wage of sin is death. But here's a gift. Daniel texted in, oh, his covenant is better than the old, not requiring the former rituals or religious practices. The old covenant required continual sacrifices. Amen, Sandy. Daniel texted in, Jesus drank all of our sin. If we put our faith and trust in the fact and that alone, we will indeed be covered by the blood. Sandy, again, we cannot add anything to the sacrifices already made. So we have two covenants there. The first covenant, let's get into chapter nine. See, chapter eight was quick. Most of the chapter was two big quotations. So there we go, chapter nine. Here we go. First covenant, nine, one to 10. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. My great-grandfather was a master woodworker. And I should have, I should have brought, I have, it, I have pieces in my garage. I should have gotten out there and gotten some pieces out. But he made a tabernacle. He constructed a two-scale tabernacle and I, I inherited it. And I have tabernacle pieces in my office. I think I have the, the Ark of the Covenant in my office. I think I have, I think I have the, the, the exterior bronze, like a laver of, of, of washing. I have that because it's a nice solid piece. I've got those in my office. But yeah, it's like, this is going on to talk about the holy place and the most holy place. Here we go. These are actual things. Any person reading the Old Testament is going, yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. A tabernacle was set up. In the first room were the lampstand and the table with the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had a golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. The, the mercy seat, okay, right? Where the, the, the Actually, the most holy part of the Holy of Holies is that mercy seat right there. That is where God would, would, would technically dwell. That's where we come and where atonement actually takes place. Okay, so when everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. By the way, these verses are, are really cool. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that had committed an ignorance. Because you got to remember, if you committed high-handed sins against God, you were done. You were crispy critters. But some of those sins that you could have atonement for, they were the ones that you just did, you, the, the, the kind of my bad kind of things. The, the oh, you know what? I, sorry, I, I didn't, you know, if you raise your hand against God, you were dead. It's like you look, you look in Leviticus and Google search in your, in your, in your, uh, look in your online Bible, look for the sins of the high hand, the high handed sins. If you directly try to poke God in the eyes in the old Testament, you're gone. They're not, not even playing around with you, kid, but there were sins committed in ignorance. There are sins committed. You forgot about the law. You didn't do this. Maybe you forgot to get ceremonially, ceremonially cleansed. Maybe some, you know, maybe you touched the, you, you, you. I don't know. So I, I, you were on a Nazarite vow and someone died in your presence. Now you're unclean before evening or something like that. Those are sins committed in ignorance where you could have a sacrifice for. If you have a high-handed sin, there is no sacrifice for you. You're done. And it's just, it's, it's very sobering. The Holy Spirit was showing by this, this is verse eight of chapter nine, that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as that first tabernacle was still functioning. Yeah, no one's going into the most holy place. You don't get to have that kind of intimacy with God. In fact, only one guy got that intimacy, and he only got it once a year, and that was God's high priest. You just don't walk in with confidence. The author of Hebrews is talking about coming in with confidence. See what Jesus did? That temple curtain being torn? It's like Jesus made it so that we can be not only reconciled with God, but we can actually dare we say, have Adam and Eve kind of intimacy with God? 
like, yeah, yeah, we can actually, wow. The way into the most holy place was not possible as long as that first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Oh, ouch. So we get to our, our text here. Earthly worship, so describing the tabernacle, describing what was going on in the tabernacle. Each one of those pieces, you can check out, you know, Exodus, you're describing the certain pieces in the tabernacle. And, you know, you could argue, I know my great-grandfather did, that they all had spiritual significance, and they pointed to Jesus, and they pointed to the gospel. And that might have been overdone a bit. It might not have been overdone. I don't know. But it's, you can see Christ in the tabernacle. It could point to the tabernacle, and it could be actually a, a very meaningful exercise for you doesn't have to be what what god originally meant with moses he may not have understood that but you can look you can look back and you can see the gospel in the pieces of the tabernacle if you're looking for it that's not always the best way to read scripture but you could look that way and see that it's very tempting to read christ into all the old testament we just got to be careful we're going to treat scripture fairly so the earthly worship and in that earthly worship it had a great failing your conscience wasn't cleared. It's the same whiteout example. Put whiteout on your page. You can type over that whiteout. Once it dried, you could turn your paper in. The sin's still there, but you're still able to turn your, turn your paper in on time. You can still have a relationship with God, but the sin's still there. Your conscience, yeah, you did your thing, you know, you did what God required. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on your heart, the conscience is not really cleansed. It hurts. You know the kind of person you've been. You know, you know the weight of that sin, the guilt and the shame. And the difference is guilt is you've done something bad. Shame is you are something bad. And shame is not a fair feeling. But we feel it. It was not able to, to cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. They're just a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. There is not, there's something about that first covenant that ha, it had a great big not able. It also had a shelf life. That these things were only going to apply until. Like only until a certain point were they going to apply. It's like, yeah, they were, they were only able to accomplish certain things. Um, but once the new order comes along, then now things are going to change. So we got to get to Jesus next. 11 to 14. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here. I like that. What are the good things that are already here? You have been forgiven. It is by grace you are saved. You have peace that passes all understanding. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the fruits of those spirit. You have this new life in Christ. Wonderful, blessed, great, awesome new life in Christ. And your high priest, Christ, is mediating that. Here he is. High priest of the good things that are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, not part of this creation. So we're back to that. Well, is there a second tabernacle? Let's just read this again. But when Christ came, and we're, we're in chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. Okay, so something in heaven. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, like the high priest in Aaron's day, Aaron and his boys. Day of atonement. He's going into the holy of, okay, so he has to have a sacrifice for his own self, and he's taking that and he's splashing blood all over everything, and that's consecrating and making everything clean and holy, and now he gets to go in. Okay, but he didn't do that. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, 
But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Did you catch what, what, what that was describing? Jesus didn't offer his blood as our Passover lamb in order to satisfy the requirements or in order for him to be the mediator in the original tabernacle or temple. What's this saying? That his blood satisfied heaven's tabernacle? Whoa. Blood in heaven? What? Um... Uh, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place. And we're talking about heaven's most holy place, the most holy of the possible most holy places by means of his own blood. It's saying even in God's economy for, for salvation to be full and final, for redemption to actually happen. What is redemption? It means I'm being bought back, redeemed, like you redeem a coupon. Like a slave was redeemed from the slave market. I'm a slave to sin, but I'm redeemed from that slavery by his blood. That his blood, his sacrifice was so perfect. It worked for heaven's tabernacle. And that's how we know salvation is the real deal. Whatever the heavenly counterpart is for the earthly tabernacle, it required all that blood. It took Jesus' blood. That's how I know my salvation, your salvation, is the real deal. It satisfied the heavenly requirement. Salvation, mic drop. That's how you know when you say you're saved, you are saved. It has nothing to do with you. Because you have nothing to do with that tabernacle. That's all about Jesus. His blood satisfied that. And now he sat down. Mm. nice text daniel jesus is not only the high priest but is the lamb of god he is simultaneously the high priest and the ultimate sacrificial lamb yes he is the sacrifice he also is the priest mediating that sacrifice amen uh so we have a different tabernacle yeah different blood yeah we're not having blood because the blood of goats and, 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 and calves yeah it was it's, it, I can't even imagine what a worship service is like back then. I can't even imagine my job back then. I mean, I, the, those priests were also butchers. It's like you were carving things up and pouring blood. I mean, my goodness, what a bloody, bloody business was worship. Don't ever forget that. The next time you're standing there with your arms raised to praise Almighty God, the next time you're listening to praise music and your soul's being your soul's being stirred within you, the next time you're reading your Bible and the Holy Spirit's working you over and you have an impromptu worship service, just remember nobody had to die to make that intimacy possible right then and there. Now Jesus died once for all. We're going to get to that. Intimacy is possible without blood anymore. Please don't forget that the next time you go to church. Nobody's dying. No blood is being shed to make this intimacy possible. What you experience with God on a weekly basis required so much blood in the first covenant. Ouch. Mm. How much more? let's not miss this how much more argument here this is a rabbinical argument how much more how much more then will the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to god cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death you feel horrible you've sinned you know the wages of sin is death you feel extra horrible because you're a christian and you know better oh goodness that was my story Time after time after time. You feel horrible. You hate yourself. 
You loathe yourself. You can't stand the kind of person you've become. Here you are. You're toast. You have no answer. You feel shame because you know better. How much more then will the blood of Christ cleanse that conscience? You know what the old covenant couldn't do? How much more then will that new covenant do it? Boom. Now there's hope. Amen, Daniel. We are very fortunate to have Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me, let me take the screen down a little bit here so we can see the bottom. We've learned our main points tonight. There's two covenants. The first covenant, we have Jesus here. It's like right in the middle of the, of the, of, of, of the passage. He just says, okay, Christian, hear this. Now the new covenant. Move this up part of one more second here. There we go. 15 to 28. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Or you could say from the sins committed, which the first covenant couldn't do a darn thing about, except convict you of those sins. Yes, thank you. I knew I, I, I know that I've sinned. Yes, I, I, I'm well aware of my sin. My conscience will not leave me alone. Well, the first covenant just says, you don't, remember, you, you've sinned. Don't forget that. And yeah, in the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is only enforced when somebody has died. Right, well, that makes sense. You... You know, here's the last will and testament of this person. And well, I just saw them at Walmart. Are you sure they're dead? Because unless they're dead, it doesn't work. You can just go talk to them and you don't have to probate anything. You just go and tell them, there he is. Well, someone has to die for a will to take effect. We get that. That's just, it made sense in his world, in the author of Hebrews' world. It makes sense in our world. That's just the way it works. Okay. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even when, even the first covenant was not put in effect without blood. Huh. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll. Evidently, hyssop was a nice you know, leafy branch that you could paint with, and it was something like a nice, you know, like a, like a whisk or something. You could be able to use it. Okay, there it is. And, and he did all these things. Uh, sprinkled the scroll and all the people. That's getting blood on the Bible now. You catch that? He sprinkled the scroll. Here we go. All right. He said, and by the way, you should recognize these words. Jesus used these words. He repeated these words. It's kind of cool when you think about it. This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep in the same way he sprinkled with the blood, both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything to be cleansed with blood, nearly everything. Cause like, you're not going to, you're not going to throw the blood on like um, what would be something in the, in the tabernacle that didn't get bloody uh, the showbread because you're not to eat blood. Okay, no blood goes on top of God's altar because God doesn't eat blood. What blood, quote unquote, goes on top of God's altar? The drink offering. What was the drink offering? Wine. It kind of looks like blood, red wine. Okay, that gets poured out of the altar. Any blood gets poured around the altar, the base of the altar, never on the altar, because God tells his people, don't you eat blood. And God himself doesn't eat blood. So here we have what's something in the tabernacle that didn't get bloody? The showbread, because the priests and their families get to eat that bread. The priests and their sons actually get to eat. So you're not going to eat blood. So that's something. So nearly everything gets coated with blood, sprinkled with blood. Okay, nearly. Not, not that. Okay. Well, blood of the covenant. Wow. 
nearly everything claims of blood. And oh yeah, the verse that, let's not take out of context. It's an old covenant context. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Forgiveness is only possible in the, in the old covenant way with the shedding of blood. And yet this forgiveness is still, you're still having a guilty conscience. Like you're not fully and finally like we have now because Jesus hasn't died in our place yet. An earthly substitute. A sheep or a calf or a goat or a pigeon or something like that. They've died in our place. But that forgiveness is not full and final. Even on the day of atonement, we get a taste, but it's but a copy, a pattern, a shadow. Mick texted in the Mosaic Covenant was about teaching us about a mediator. Israel was supposed to be a kingdom, a priest, and a holy nation. Israel never lives up to it. That's why Isaiah anticipates the Messiah, the ultimate mediator. Amen. Daniel texts, we have the promise when we die that we will have eternal life in heaven. We no longer need to fear death, for Jesus stole back the keys of hell and conquered the grave once and for all. Sin and death were defeated. Amen. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. That's where we get that point from earlier. You mean the heavenly tabernacle had to be purified? Evidently. But it wasn't going to be purified with the hyssop and the blood of the goat or whatever, the calf and flinging it. No. It had to be a better sacrifice. What? For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. That's a huge point, by the way. You hear that, Aaron? The wages of sin is death, Aaron. Your blood's not being shed, high priest Aaron. No, it's a bull is being, his blood's being shed, or a calf, or a goat. You're entering this most holy place with blood being shed that is not your own. Not so, Jesus. Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. No, it does not mean that sin stops. It means that sin is defeated. It's done away with as an enemy. There's an answer now. An answer that has never, ever, ever been on the books fully and finally. Wow. Just got to say it again. Wow. He has to suffer many times. He has appeared once for all, the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus was not murdered. Don't you ever think that about Jesus? Oh, look what they did to him. Even when I watch the Passion of the Christ and I say, don't you do that to my Jesus. Well, he wouldn't be that if he wouldn't be my Jesus unless that happened. But he wasn't murdered. He was sacrificed. He gave himself up. Wow. I don't know if little Baba was able to do that. That seems more like murder. Not so with Jesus. verse 27 just as people who are destined to die once and after that to face judgment well i mean except like lazarus i mean we assume lazarus is dead the gospels didn't tell us that he's dead they told us he died once and jesus you know lazarus come forth you know and he can't he, he was resurrected by jesus we're assuming he died again i'm just saying Despite the people that our Lord literally resurrects, we're all dying once, okay? So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. 
And of course, people like Elijah, who never did die. Okay, and Enoch, you know what I mean? Okay. So he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So we have a mediator with some wonderful, wonderful blessings of this new covenant. We've got two bloods of the covenants here. The original, which was some animal's blood, sacrifice blood, and Jesus. Go to the Last Supper now. This is my body, broken. This is the blood of the covenant. As he, as he picks up the, 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 the cup and the, the, the wine symbolizing his blood. This is the blood of the covenant. That was like a, a Moses mic drop there. Yes, the accomplishment of the once once he was sacrificed once not many times once once for all that's not a coupon you keep bringing to the register once for all The accomplishment of the once. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of the many. But now the hope of the second. Revelation 19, when he comes again, the, the rider on the white horse, he's not coming to, to sacrifice himself for sins. He's coming with a freaking sword coming out of his mouth. There's going to be rivers of blood, but it's not going to be his blood. He's coming again to judge. So what do we do with all this? The clay responds with the Noah being a do. This is Scooby-Doo's cousin, Noby-Doo. How do you respond? Well, let me give you a hint. When it comes to the Christian life, your response to God's word ought to look like this. I'm learning this in my life. Please learn it in yours. 2020 gave me plenty of opportunities to practice this. You know, the quarantine year, the forgotten year, the year that where everybody put, you know, found their freshman 15 pounds. That year, here it is. There's things about you that need to stop. I'm pausing. Think. There's things about you that need to stop. And there's things about you that need to start in Christ, for you to be less like you and more like Jesus, which by the way is the doctrine of progressive sanctification, which is something we partner with with the Holy Spirit. We don't partner with anything with God regarding our salvation, nothing. He does everything. All we do is bring the sin that needs to be dealt with. But we do partner with progressive sanctification. He expects us to respond in faithfulness as the Holy Spirit gradually and progressively makes us more like Jesus. We don't make it happen, but we get to play a part with that. What about you needs to stop? What about you needs to start? About your no. What about your knowledge? Needs to stop. Well, I need to, I need to stop thinking that I'm under the old covenant. Because that's not how God works. And that means that what I do... I need to stop worrying about if I've done enough to make God happy because it's not the way God works, but you could think that way in the old covenant. I'm not saying you'd be right, but the temptation to think that way, like, well, have I done enough? Is my sacrifice enough? Cause I'm still going to sin. I'm still going to keep doing that. Um, God, am, 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 are we good? I mean, really, are we good? I get day of atonement. Why it was a joyous day. Cause you finally got the, everything felt like it was wiped clean. But until then you were losing sleep. And until then you were like, am I good with God? I just don't know. See, there's things you've got to knock off about that when it comes to the new covenant. You're good with God because Jesus made you good with God. In an ultimate sense, your sin is paid for. The sins you have confessed and repented of. That one needs to start. There you go. With regarding to, to what you need to know, there's things that need to stop. And, and what I know about that is it's your self-talk. The things that why you why you, you stay depressed, because your self-talk sucks. And you're constantly telling yourself things that are destructive. 
well, God doesn't love me. God hates me. There's no way God would love this. He hasn't seen what I've done. There's no way God would forgive this. You're just repeating the stupid crap over and over and over again. And you wonder why you're depressed. You wonder why you're, you're stuck in this muck and this mire. This is it. There's things about your knowledge that needs to stop. And there's things that need to start. You need to know that Jesus paid it all. That Jesus actually accomplished your salvation. It's no longer a toss of the coin. What about how you are? What needs to stop about you? What needs to start? When it comes to yourself, how you are, that's like an identity thing. Well, I'm a child of God. That can be used in a very lame way. That well, Saddam Hussein was a child of God. I mean, God is God and he was not. Are you in a relationship with God? Act like it. That comes with great joy. There's only so much you can beat up on yourself. There's only so much you can call yourself a sinner. You catch that? Well, I'm just a sinner. That's no longer the last page of your book, my friend. Sin. That chapter used to be the final chapter of your book. It's not anymore. Oh, I'm just a sinner. I'm weak. I'm only human. The devil made me do it. Excuses, excuses, excuses. No. Your final chapter of your book is redeemed, loved, bought back. You're God's. You're God's guy. You're God's little girl. He loves you. He bought you back. There's things about you that need to stop. There's things about you need to start. What's the do? Don't act like the first covenant. Well, God, I know I sinned, but, you know, I brought the sacrifice. I'm just saying, you know, that's what I got to do. I came all this way, or I had to stop by the money changers and, you know, get that sheep instead of my own sheep, or I had to do this. I had to do, I'm, I'm just saying, God, I'm doing this. I, I understand. I'm a jerk. I did all these things. God, I know, but here I am. No. No, 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 no. No longer is there anything you can do. No longer is God's economy such that you are paying a price. He's done it. What you do do is now you weren't crucified. He was crucified. So now you can crucify yourself. You catch that? That selfish part of you. Being crucified in Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body is not my own, but, but Jesus who, who, who loves me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. You can crucify your selfishness. You can put that on the altar. Being a living sacrifice, there's things you can do, and there's things you need to stop doing. We can't manipulate God. We can't try to, we don't have to worry about if I'm doing enough to satisfy God's wrath. No. You see, we live as a new covenant believers. Jesus paid it all. And he paid it once for all. It's not something like it's, you know, the old Sears layaway plan or the Kmart layaway plan where you go in every time you go in, you put, you know, a few bucks down and you can maybe peek at the shelf. Like, oh, I can't wait for Christmas. So I finally make the last payment. I get to take that sucker home. No, 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 no. Once for all. Once for all. It's very tempting to treat God like the first covenant is still in effect. Because with the first covenant, there's stuff you can do. And we're, we trick ourselves into thinking, if I just do things, God's going to be happy with me. We try to control things. And when we try to control things, we say, well, God will be happy with me because I'm, I'm, I've, I've got control. And I'm doing things. And, I, and I'm limiting myself. And I'm doing all these things. And I can make God happy by the things I do. No, no. Think about being God being satisfied. Not like, I'm not going to make God happy today. God's wrath was satisfied in your place. 
looks like all the rest is gravy at this point. Be faithful. Seek to honor him with everything. Just know that how you live this life doesn't change God's view of you. Because that would make you God and him not. Or him, him being more responding like, well, I know Jesus died in this place, but she just won't give up that sin. He just won't give up that hurt. He, it's like, no. He died once for all. That doesn't mean we get to live our life any way we darn well please. No, we have to glorify God. And we're expected to glorify God. But we have to understand that we can't control things like Moses and the first covenant offered control of. Jesus entered that heavenly sanctuary. He sat down. That's how the clay responds. The clay says, you know what? There's things I got to let go of. And there's things I need to start. There's things I need to stop about me. And there's things I need to start. Jesus is our high priest. He's our sacrifice. He's the mediator of this new covenant, the blessings we get to enjoy. We will continue to enjoy in heaven. And one day, we will no longer deal with sin. One day, we will no longer deal with sickness or pain or disappointment. One day, we will no longer deal with all this ick that we have to deal with right now. And until then, we live in a tension between the already and the not yet. We're saved. By God's grace, we're saved. In a full and final way, we still wait for that day. The already and the not yet. You have two covenants tonight. Great big chapter. Wonderful reminder that our salvation belongs to God. It was secured by the blood of Jesus not yours. There's only so much we can do. We cannot try to manipulate God. The accomplishment of the once and the hope of the second. We'll close with this, Daniel. Great, 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 great text here. This is a great passage to read during the Easter season. Amen. Amen. Without the shedding of blood, there is for no forgiveness. Thank God that once for all, Jesus shed his blood. Once for all. Big lesson tonight. See you next week.